0: Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. I, Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Well, mates in courage. Take a listen.
1: Hi Ellie. Hi Graham. We're back at it again. Yes we are mate. We are and I'm going to make you feel all envious. I like making you feel envious. Well you often do that. You've been (laughs) fishing again. Yeah well you know Kim and Moretta. Yeah. We took them fishing. Okay. And Moretta was fishing for a small brim. Yep. And she got a 16 pound flathead.
2: Oh, I saw the photo of that. I think Did you, you, see it? you sent it to me so I could be very jealous.
1: No, no, that was a 70 centimetre flathead I got the other oh. day. Oh, okay. I'm trying to work you up into a frenzy so that when I take you out in the boat, that the fish won't be putting bubbles into the water and you'll be actually ready, you know, because they won't be laughing? when the, You said when fish hear the name Gonzales, they laugh because you see the bubbles in the water? Yeah, that's it. Yeah,
2: that's, yeah. that's all I get to see.
1: Yeah, so I just thought I'd start the conversation off by rubbing a little bit of salt into your wound. I like doing that occasionally. Yeah, well, it's always raw. Yeah, I the, mean, you, always, fishing... you
2: know how to make me jealous. Yeah, the fishing yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's raw. What are we going to talk about today?
2: I reckon we should talk about relationships and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Dealing with relationship breakdowns. Oh, okay. Because it's something that we both know a little bit about, mm-hmm. or a lot about, mm-hmm. and a lot of guys, and, and women too, you know, have, uh, face relationship breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are going to end up with a fairy tale at the end, but no. we've all got to navigate our path through, you know, if it happens. Mm. Hopefully
1: it doesn't. We need about seven or eight episodes to cover this one. Oh,
2: well, that's all right. This is only the first one. Yeah, okay.
1: So we're not talking about business relationships or working re- relationships, although marital relationships are a combination of all those things. Business relationships, working relationships, yeah, relationships with children, familial relationships, yeah. romantic relationships.
2: Because relationships fundamentally have the same principles behind them, and they all kind of work the same, but I... But when it's husbands and wives, you know, when it's men and women, uh, they seem to take on an extra edge.
1: I believe there's two basic fundamentals that make up a good relationship in any arena, whether it be business, working, romantic, familial, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think all relationships to be successful must first be based on an element of trust. So if trust isn't present, you can't really have a a strong, authentic relationship. Yep. The other one I think is love. Love. Mm -hmm. So there's a circle of love and trust which has to be perpetuating, going round and round and round the whole time. And I think where relationships break down is they may start off in that way, although a lot of people don't actually sit down and examine what they really need to make a good relationship. They just fall into one. But if we maintain the level of the circle of love and trust, then that should continue to flourish and even grow Mm -hmm. to the point of view where it's successful.
2: So you've spoken to a lot of couples yep. where the relationship has broken down, sometimes yep. totally. Yeah. So is there like a, a pattern that, that you've seen that relationships go through before they break down?
1: Yeah, there is. Um, most breakdowns are around finances, differences in how to raise the, the children, mm-hmm. sexual differences. Mm-hmm lack of compatibility physically and sexually, pornography addiction, mm-hmm. other addictions that may creep in. Uh, I'm talking about addictions like pride, mm-hmm. workaholic, mm-hmm. someone who's addicted to their job, and that can either be male or female. A lot we see lately is kids getting put at the forefront of everything at the expense of the marriage. Mm. A big cause of breakdown is there's too much emphasis put on the kids and not enough on the spouses. That's going kind of ruffle a few feathers, isn't it? Yeah, Let me put this to you. A happy marriage is a gift that we give our children.
2: Well, that's true.
1: So why do you think children would feel secure in a happy marriage, growing up in a happy marriage with their parents?
2: Because they receive love from their their Mm -hmm. parents. They feel secure because they can see that loving relationship, that circle of trust you're talking about, between Mm -hmm.
1: their mum and dad. And a lot of kids nowadays, very sadly, are going to school mixing with kids from single-parent families. And those kids generally present with, not all the time, but in in a lot of cases, present with some issues because obviously there's something missing. Dad's gone or mum's gone. Uh, Somebody else has been brought in to replace either one. And there's all kinds of issues and sometimes... Uh, when kids are brought into new relationships, second-time relationships, they tend to feel left out and they're not getting any attention at all or you know, the focus is on the new spouse. But if we think that the greatest gift we can give our kids is a happy marriage, uh, kids who grow up in happy marriages feel secure because they know in their heart that that's not going to happen to them, that they're going to come home every day and mum and dad will be there and their life will function pretty well. We've seen a lot of marriages go south. Mm-hmm. To the point where they need drastic work to come back north again because people are compensating for the lacks in the missing links in their, re, their own marital relationship by being all things for the kids. Hmm. So, you know, in the aeroplane every day, Ellie, I hear it um, in the safety demonstration. If oxygen is required, a mask will drop from the unit above your head, pull it down to start the flow of oxygen, fit your own mask first before fitting that of your children. Why?
2: You can't help your kids unless you help yourself.
1: That's right. You've got to be well in yourself first. Yeah. Now, happy children are a natural byproduct of a happy marriage in most cases. Mm-hmm. There can be external influences that can change some of that. But in, in most of the cases we've experienced in the last 13 years, Michelle and I, working with, with couples and families, they're some of the most predominant issues.
2: Now, I noticed, Graeme, that when you gave me that list of the most predominant issues before you ran through them... Mm-hmm. You're finished up with the issue of focusing on the kids mm-hmm. to the extent of the, your partner. There's one thing you didn't mention, mm-hmm. and that's infidelity, like hooking up with another woman or mm-hmm. another man. Why didn't you include that? Is it that that is the result of a relationship breakdown or yeah, is it exactly. the cause?
1: No, I think it's, it's a side effect of a broken relationship. Um, when people feel emotionally loved, when their love tank is filled when people feel that um, they're not, there's no need to seek anything elsewhere because they've got everything they want at home, they're less likely to fall into an affair than people who are not that way inclined. So we talk about emotional needs. I'm talking about the book The Five Love Languages, which has been a profound yep. book in, in marriage counselling circles. Mm-hmm. And it basically talks about we have five emotional ways that we feel loved, and these are physical touch, Quality time, gifts, words of affirmation, and um, acts of service. Yep. Now we're all wired differently, and I think we're part. Of, there's part of God's master plan that He, you know, if we're all the same, nothing would get done, and it would be a very boring place. So mm. the whole idea is, oh, I believe God's building a beautiful tapestry on the planet, and He's He's organised people to fit in different categories and fit with different people, um, and so we're all wired differently. Uh, my marriage with Michelle works really, really well because her emotional needs, the way she feels loved, are the same as the way I feel loved. She likes physical touch. She loves hand-holding and cuddles. She likes words of affirmation. She loves it when I tell her how much I love her and how beautiful she is. And she likes quality time. The first two of my love
2: languages too, uh, physical touch and words of affirmation. Yeah. So I,
1: I get you. So you know, you know what it feels like when... You don't get that. Mm-hmm. So an example that uh, Dr. Gary Chapman uses in his book: um, Let's imagine a couple have been together for thirty years. They've raised their children. The children have flown the coop. Uh, he's going off to his day job every day. He he kisses his wife on the on the uh, on the mouth before he goes to work, and he says, uh, "Have a great day, honey. I really love you, and I look forward to seeing you tonight." And same mm-hmm. to you, sweetheart. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. He goes off to his job and at seven o'clock that night, he turns up after a long commute and he walks in to the kitchen and his wife's there getting the meal ready and he walks up behind her and he snuggles into her neck and, and he says, hi, gorgeous, I'm home. And she shrugs her shoulders and she says, not now, can't you see I'm busy? Mm-hmm. How does he feel? Rejected. Rejected. And it rejection is the greatest source of pain in the human existence, the feeling of not being loved. Mm-hmm. So he looks at her strangely and he goes to the fridge and he grabs a cold drink and he goes in to watch the evening news and he has a sip on the drink and the TV's on and he's not even paying attention to what's on TV because he's thinking, I don't think she loves me anymore because if she really loved me, she would have turned around and given me a hug and and a kiss and said, I'm glad to have you home.
2: Mm.
1: She, on the other hand, is in the kitchen preparing the meal and she's thinking to herself, I don't think he really loves me anymore because if he really loved me, he'd be in here helping me get the dinner ready. Now, do they love each other? They've, been, they've raised their children. They've been together 30 years. It's been a pretty good marriage. But she's not feeling loved because he. the way she feels loved is having things done for her. The way he feels loved is physical touch.
2: Okay, so here's my question, Graham. Mm-hmm. If he's thinking that, why doesn't he tell her? And if she's thinking that, why doesn't she tell him because surely that's where the relationship breaks down, when, that, the, when the communication breaks down.
1: That's exactly right, and that requires education. And sadly, in our Western world, there is very precious little education around relationships. We just don't know this stuff. We should be taught this stuff in schools. You know, it's quite simple to work out. Now, the thing is, that they, they love each other, this couple, but they're not connecting because they're not speaking each other's love language. If she was physical touch and he was physical touch, when he came home, he would have been greeted with a beautiful hug and a kiss, Mm -hmm. and maybe she'd have gone in and sat on the lounge with him and put her arms around him. We suggest to our couples that they keep asking themselves on a weekly basis, um, on a scale of 0 to 10, how full is your love tank? And if the answer is a 7 or an 8, that's a good result. But the next question should be, what can I do to help you fill it? Hmm. And when we ask that question, we're saying we're actually saying, How can I make you feel more loved than you do now? And we might hear very simple answers. We might think, Oh, I don't want to ask that question because it might mean I've got to buy a new car or I've got to I've got to take her out to a five star restaurant for dinner. It might be something as simple as, I'd really love it if you'd put a load of laundry in the washing machine for me while I get the dinner ready. That would be an acts of service response from a mm-hmm. woman who likes acts of service. Hmm. He might say, I would feel really great if after dinner you could just give me a 10-minute back rub. It would make me feel so good. So if we do that, we actually learn what makes each other feel loved. A lot of men seem to think if you've upset your wife, buy her a bunch of flowers. And that works for a gifts-orientated person but not for an acts of service or quality time person. Mm-hmm you may buy somebody a bunch of flowers who would much rather you went for a walk around the block with them with the dog holding their hand. You would have saved the money and that would have been done. Um, so in that, in that yeah. regard, we, we, we let each other down because we don't really understand the basic mechanisms of, of a good, loving relationship.
2: But I understand exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. because my wife's love languages are diametrically opposite to mine. Mm-hmm. You know, mine is physical touch and words of affirmation hmm And uh, hers is uh, quality time and acts of service. hmm So, like, they're not opposite, but they're completely different. Yeah. So it really takes a, a, an effort. It's very challenging sometimes for for my wife and I to connect. And the, the really important thing, uh, that at the core of it, you know, we've identified uh, that we need to keep working on all the time is the communication. That's right. Because... You know, otherwise resentments can creep in. Yep. You know, and then, and that it's a vicious cycle where you stop
1: talking to each other. And resentments creep in when expectations aren't being met. It's basically, I do everything for you, but you do nothing for me. Now, you might, you may not be an acts of service person, so it's not a big deal if your shirt isn't ironed and hung up in the wardrobe, but it's a big deal to her. So, in order to make her feel loved you need to learn to speak her love language so then if she's doing it the right way as well when you do something like vacuuming the floor for her mm-hmm. that's an act of service she can then respond with by telling you just how amazing that made her feel and how encouraging it is that you actually care what makes her feel good That meets your words of affirmation need.
2: Are you saying, Graeme, that you actually have to work hard and consciously and intentionally on your relationships?
1: Not hard, just intentionally. It's not hard. I mean, if the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up is talk to God Mm. and then ask yourself this question, what can I do to make her feel more loved today than I did yesterday? And that gets you to intentionally think about what her emotional needs are, what makes her feel loved, and when you're talking about in your own situation acts of service, you'd probably get up and organize a breakfast for her.
2: Well, but it can be hard when one player in the equation wants to play and the other one doesn't.
1: Well, what love is something you do for somebody else. It's not something you do for yourself. If you're doing it to get a what is it quid pro quo? Yeah. Yeah, A business a, deal. A business deal. If mm. if this is a transaction in order to get something in return, it's not love. Love is something you do for somebody else. So um, once, if you keep doing that often enough, mm-hmm. you will see the climate in your relationship change. It, it's a fact. It will change uh, for the better. Mm-hmm. The hardest part is being intentional and remembering to be intentional mm-hmm. each day. It's remembering that these are the things I need to do because we hear this adage, and people scoff at it these days, happy wife, happy life. I tell you, I really believe in that. I believe that a happy wife brings a, a, a husband great joy and happiness. And I think women likewise could also say that a happy husband brings me great joy. Sure. And so... No, one, sh- no one wants to live with misery. No, what's the point? So I think rel- a lot of re- relationships break down because behaviours are set in place in my first marriage and I'm not denigrating my first wife, um, not at all. We we were just the wrong people in the wrong place, that's Ooh. all. She's a, a, she's a great person, you know, and she would have been a fantastic wife in another situation with somebody else. So we just weren't meant to be together. Yeah. But... If we, if we were speaking the same love language, if we were meeting each other's emotional needs, a lot of the breakdowns wouldn't have happened. The pain of our relationship, because we were like two pieces in a puzzle that were jammed together and weren't slotted in perfectly, the pain of that relationship caused her to withdraw from me and the marriage, caused me to withdraw from her and the marriage and withdraw into my addiction, mm-hmm. which was pornography. Um, and I used to watch pornography not so much for the sexual gratification of it but to for that moment the time i was spending watching pornography was taking my thoughts away from the misery of my marriage and my relationship so i became addicted to the pornography did that help the marriage no it didn't only made it worse because she knew that i was addicted to pornography and she didn't know how to deal with it and i didn't know how to deal with it so it all it all went to the scrapyard very very quickly or very quickly, thirty-four years. Mm. I mean, boy. is that
2: is that how long you were married for?
1: Yeah, Now, it wasn't all bad. No, we we had beautiful, we had two lovely daughters out of it, mm-hmm. and a lot of our joy was shared around our children. Mm. I think we were both pretty good parents. Did that
2: change when your daughters grew up and left yeah. and left home? It yeah. did, it yeah. did,
1: because we um we were we were um, we were uh, compensating. Mm-hmm. for the things that weren't working in our relationship with our children by doing things for our children and, and trying to be really good parents. and
2: I've got to say that, that uh, my two kids, our two kids, have just recently left home. Well, Rebecca, you know, a couple of years ago, and my son a couple of months ago. So Anna and I are just learning it's a whole new playing field in, in your relationship when the kids leave home because you don't have that, I guess, ability to compensate
1: anymore. That's right, and who is this person sitting opposite me at the breakfast table every morning? Who is that person? Because for the last 20 years we've been so engrossed in in, in uh, supporting the children and raising money to do that and keeping the home fires burning and giving them an education that we've lost track of who we really are. And that goes back to my initial point when we talked about kids getting more attention than they actually want. Kids need a certain amount of attention, but they they quite often seek more because they're compensating as well they're compensating for the misery in the marriage that they can sense as well remember we're married to our spouses but we're also married to our children oh that's a thought that's a thought and uh we model marriage to our children mm-hmm. that's even scarier mm-hmm. what for our sure. children are seeing in us quite often they will take as representative of what their married life is going to be like mm-hmm. and, and and we do it to some extent marry our parents and
2: they learn how to be married from us.
1: They do. That is really scary. Hmm. You know. And I often ask men through the work we do, would you like your daughter to marry a man like you? Mm-hmm. Would you like your daughter to marry a man like you, Ellie? Absolutely. Yeah, me too now. Yeah. But I tell you what, me 20 years ago, no way. Yeah, that's right. But me now, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and here's the other side of relationships. When things aren't going well, a lot of us tend to... our partners off we draw a line through them my first wife's response to my porn addiction was you're evil how can i trust you you're just a dog you know i'm going to keep you in your place you're not alone pretty common pretty common but michelle's response when i've stumbled into pornography on the on the few times that it's happened in the last 13 years has always been are you okay was it anything i did And what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. Now, that's what Jesus says to us when we fall. Mm, That's right. So when Michelle says that to me, it's like Jesus is talking to me. And it it encourages me to a point that I've got such a good relationship because I'm married to a woman who accepts me as I am, that I strive to be better. But if she gave me a human response, which is, how can I ever trust you? You You've broken the circle of love and trust. Mm. That makes me feel even worse as a man, and that, that... degradation of my esteem drives me deeper into my my addiction. Got an amazing woman there. I have. Mm. I have. I'm very lucky, but, you know, she's been put into my life to show me so much. Mm. I I often say to men, um, you know your marriage would work a lot better if when you went shopping with your wife you actually held her hand. Oh, but I'm not touchy-feely. I don't like that stuff, you know. Uh, I'm not into all that stuff. Do you love your wife? Yeah, I adore her. Would you take a bullet for her? Yeah, of course I'd take a bullet for her. Mm -hmm. you take a bullet for her, but you won't hold her hand when she goes shopping with you. It's incongruent. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. If you love her that much, you'd die for her. Is it so painful to know that she really feels loved by you when she holds your hand in public that you wouldn't do that for her? Is it so abhorrent to you that that would happen? But
2: that goes goes back to the lack of uh, communication, Mm. you know, transparency, Mm. the ability to be honest with each other. Uh, which I, th- I think is at the heart, mm. you know, the inability to be honest with each other is at the heart of so many relationship breakdowns. I've got another question that has to do with what we've been talking about here, Graeme, because mm. uh, from talking with you before, I know that in your first marriage, the relationship became quite bitter in, in the end. Toxic, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and this is a question I was asked by a mate probably a couple of weeks ago uh, who'd been, uh, who's been listening to... Uh, these podcasts, is been he's having his own experiences. Let's say, and the question was, why is it that when relationships break down, he's talking about his ex partner, his mm-hmm. wife, or uh, why is it that they become so bitter? Of course, it can work the other way. The man can, becomes very bitter. Like, like it's like, did I ever know this person? Yeah. You know, it's just I, I can't understand mm-hmm. uh, where does this profound anger and bitterness and need for revenge come from. Well, this need that mm-hmm. I've seen it many times mm-hmm. in, in relationships that have broken down where one partner in particular actually isn't happy just to you know be separated and, and get a financial no. settlement, or whatever it is, yeah. but they actually actively try to destroy the other partner's life and they don't give
1: up. Where, do, know, where does that come from? It gets back to unmet expectations again. I mean, for a start, they probably should never have been together in the first place. They got together for all the wrong reasons. You know, in the marriage vows, we often hear in a in a church inspired wedding, you know, whom God hath put together, let no man put asunder. Hmm. But we know for a fact we've dealt with over three hundred and thirty couples. We have these weekend retreats where they stay. One couple will stay with us for a whole weekend till we get a breakthrough. We know for a fact from doing those weekends that there are a lot of marriages where God had nothing to do with putting people together. It was their will. It had nothing to do with God because we're given the the freedom of choice by God to make our own decisions. And so people make bad decisions at a very young age when they don't have the experience or the wisdom to be able to make those life-changing decisions. So they make the wrong ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, They make them for the wrong reasons, I believe to a large extent, that in the back of the thinking of my first wife was the fact that I was going to be a high-income earner as an airline pilot, and therefore I was going to be a security blanket. And I spent 34 years in my marriage f- walk- feeling like a walking ATM, that that was my role. Mm-hmm. She was happiest when I was away on a four-day trip making money, and I'd come home and I was like the fifth wheel, you know, not required. I felt like an unwanted house guest in my own home. Mm. If there had been more, for us in our relationship if we did speak the same love languages if we'd been more attentive to each other's needs it would have worked very well but we weren't we let we let our, our guard down now we've recognized through the recovery ministry that we're doing that below every bad behavior in somebody there is a pain that drives that behavior now when a spouse an ex-spouse gets bitter and twisted it's because they're deeply deeply hurt because they had an expectation for themselves that wasn't met. They had an expectation of you that wasn't met. They had an expectation of life that wasn't met. They've been living in this fairyland that they're seeing on television and reading in glossy magazines and all that sort of stuff, the white picket fence thing. When that image is destroyed, they feel deeply. Uh, they feel deeply let down. Um, they're also in a very insecure place now. They have to face things that they've never had to face before. And so that makes them feel insecure, and that drives a behaviour that's not healthy. In the breakup, they they lose track of the fact that their behaviour will upset the children and probably distort their view of marriage and their life in the future. The ripples in the pond go on and on. They they get to a point where they um, they they they're doing a great deal to support the legal fraternity who are educating their children in the best schools based on the pain of the people they're working for. We see family law cases so, so often that are driving a domestic violence and even murder-suicide uh, because the system is not geared up to understand where the pain comes from. Mm-hmm. All these things work against a, um, a, an amicable settlement, which is by far the best way to go. Um, I wanted a settlement with my ex-wife that gave her the lion's share of everything because I wanted to draw a line and start again. And I bent over backwards to give her everything. I mean, after 34 years of marriage, I walked away with just $34,000. Wow. And no property and no superannuation, all gone. And she got everything. And I thought, well, I've still got a few years left. I can work through this and build up again. And to some extent, I'm starting to do that. But uh, even though I had done that, And even though it was obvious to everybody on the planet who really knew us as a couple that we were dysfunctional, she still would rather think that I'm dead and the children aren't really allowed to talk about me in front of her and I'm not allowed to know where she lives or anything like that and I'm dead to her. Now, that gives me a slight tinge of sadness but not a great deal because I'm very happy now. Mm. I think she's. I know. A, yeah, well, I think she's a lot better off not having me in her life either, because I was equally responsible for the dysfunction in our marriage as she was. We were both to blame. So, even despite having a much better financial outcome for herself and not having to walk on eggshells around her relationship with me, she's still bitter and upset. Um, and does that concern me? In a way, for the kids. For her, not so much because she's making her own bed and she's got to lie in that bed. Mm. Does it affect my happiness? No, because my happiness doesn't rely on her anger or her or, or her approval of what I've done. I've done everything I can to make amends and get on with my life and give her the freedom to get on with hers as well. But she's still in that mould and, and sometimes that's where people are happy to stick until they face a denial yeah. and step out of it and say she's got to realise in actual fact she's, giving me, she's still giving me control over her life even though I'm not in it, and I don't want that control.
2: Well, I think where you have those situations where guys are blindsided by you know, a woman that they don't recognise anymore, they don't know why she's acting like this, or a woman is, is blindsided by a vindictive husband, you know, on, on the other hand, yeah. where you have these situations, I think there's, there's two issues at play. One is, obviously, there hasn't been any communication. Mm-hmm. You know, there hasn't been a communication and there hasn't been a listening. There's obviously been hurts and insecurities that have been built up over a long time. Yeah, And at some level, you know, there, there's also fault on both sides. Yeah. It might be more fault on one side than another, but there's also fault on both sides. And to be able to move on past that, it's very important for a man to be able to own their part of that fault, whatever it might be.
1: They do, and we need to move beyond the blame game. You know, we, we use a phrase in recovery, when you blame, you actually be lame. Uh, you're making yourself lame. And we've, we've, we've all got to accept the fact that, um, armed with hindsight, we could have probably done things a whole lot better and created a better situation for ourselves, but we didn't do that. And we just accept responsibility for the things that we've done, and try we do that because we want to we want to uh, grow so that we don't make the same mistake again and I use a phrase a lot that the past is a warehouse where we store wisdom, not an armory that we uh-huh. go and get weapons uh-huh. so I really like that saying and, and it's um, I think we have to look at the things that went wrong in the past and move forward into the future now one of the most despicable things that happens Ellie is and it is despicable. Uh-huh. That the aggrieved spouse, whether it be male or female, use the children as weapons. Yeah, in the relationship yeah. breakdown, it happens now, all that the time. A lot of men and some women have murdered their children and then taken their own life to get even with their spouse. Oof. If I can't have them, then neither will they. Now, that's just not you know. There was a case in Melbourne years ago where a demented guy who was uh, so shattered by the breakdown of the relationship and the custody battles in the court, drove over the Westgate Bridge, stopped at the top of the bridge and threw his two-year-old daughter off the bridge and then kept driving. Now, he did that to get even with his wife. He didn't even take his own life. He was eventually captured and he's in prison now. There was a recent case in the courts too. Mm. We can see how very destructive this stuff is. At the end of the day, we have to say to ourselves, uh, if the marriage is breaking down, if the relationship's breaking down, are we both willing to fix it? Mm-hmm. What are we prepared to do to fix it? And if we're not going to do that, how can we exit this situation in the cleanest possible way without a great deal of collateral damage being done on both sides?
2: Well, this brings up a, a very important point because, you know, you and I are both followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We both believe that, you know, marriage is, is a gift that God gives us. Yep. We both believe that marriage should be forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of my leadership role in, in churches and in Christian ministry, from time to time, it's always women, it's never been men, come to me and they tell me horrific stories of abuse mm-hmm. within marriage, mm-hmm. uh, just horrific yeah, I've uh, heard them too. relationships. I'm sure you've, yep. you've heard of them. They want to know, should I leave this guy? It's always been a, a, a question that... Unless there's been, you know, physical violence, uh, I've always found very difficult to answer. So when does the time come? Because there'll be plenty of uh, women, certainly plenty of guys listening to this podcast who are in abusive relationships. There's a line in the sand with physical abuse, all right? You have to get out. But then there's a whole uh, spectrum of emotional abuse.
1: Oh, Ellie, look, the way I see it, any kind of abuse is physical abuse. Yeah? I do. I just... You know, I've seen, um, I deal with a lot of men who have a pornography problem who are very, very good men. Mm -hmm. The big defect in their character is the fact that they have hooked on to something that they fell into at at puberty and they've struggled to break free of it. And those men, they can have an impeccable uh, dossier. They can have an impeccable record of successes for their family. Mm -hmm. They can be the most loving of men who have never been able to break free from this chain that's been wrapped around them when they were in puberty and their wives have treated them despicably to the point of view where they've been completely demoralized as men. We've had couples come to us where the husband's addiction to pornography has been the big issue. Mm-hmm. The minute we start talking about what is it in the marriage that's driven him to the addiction, and do you, the female spouse, have anything any role to play in that, some of their reactions I've seen have been horrendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy in particular, we had a real breakthrough with them for a weekend and we finally got her to see that the way she was treating him was not supporting him to get out of the addiction that he desperately wanted to get out of and then uh, then she set a whole bunch of booby traps for him after that weekend to uh-huh. keep trying to trap him into it and we realized that she was using his addiction in order to control him uh-huh. and that i'm afraid that's a behavior that's driven by a certain level of pain uh-huh. but it's still we can hate the behavior but still love the person who's inflicting it now we can also say the same about the man in the in the pornography addiction we can hate his behavior but we still love him and we're not making it any better by doing this and some women actually gut their husbands because they have this control over them now you're a porn addict and you can't be trusted and and i've seen some despicable behavior by by women in this situation i'm talking about men caught in a pornography addiction men who've been virtually destroyed there are it's a miracle that some of these men have not taken their own lives because well, some of have many have well yeah many have as we know I, yeah I'm, mm. but also I'm then drawn to the woman who's copying um, domestic violence mm-hmm. and I've seen domestic violence situations where there's never a finger laid on anybody. there's just this face-to-face screaming mm. and that's physical violence mm. that that is it invades a personal person's physical mm. space. And it's causing their, uh, their adrenal glands to go into overdrive. Mm. Their body is producing a whole lot of stress-related hormones and, and, yep. and problems. That's physical abuse, whether it's a fist in the face or, or whatever it is. It's still physical abuse. Mm. And when I see that happen, um, I know that underneath that man's behavior, there's a frustration that he's never, ever felt capable as a man. He's never been mentored as a man. He doesn't know what it means to be a man. He's frustrated about what he has to do and what's expected of him and he takes it out on his spouse. Yep. Now you go back to the question, when is it time to leave? Whom God hath put together, let no man put asunder. But if you're pretty sure that God hasn't put you together. <laughs> the God I love, Ellie, does not want yeah. me to live in absolute misery for the rest mm. of my life in a bad relationship yep. and he doesn't want my spouse to go through that either. And I, there, there is a text in the Bible somewhere that says, distance yourself from an angry person. Mm. Um, there comes a time when for the sake of the person that you're married to, that you have to leave because they will never get any better unless there's a consequence to their behavior. And that is, if, if that's your departure from the marriage, mm-hmm. then you may actually be helping them get better. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, by staying in an abusive relationship for a lengthy period of time, you're enabling those people to continue in that bad behavior. There has to be a consequence Mm. and I believe in my own heart and thinking and and doing lots of praying about it and seeing it happen over the years, I think God will bless anybody who does everything in their power to make it work but then realise that there comes a time and they have to walk.
2: I'm glad uh, for your clarity on on that issue, Graeme, because it's a a very important one and I I can see uh, sitting opposite you here that you know, uh, you're getting quite fired up on some of those touch points. Yeah. So here's an issue, just to finish up with, that, that it's near, near and dear to my heart. What about codependence? You raised the issue of physical violence against women and why is it that women don't leave? Why is it that, you know, if they do leave in a moment, in an emergency, they, they just crawl back to these monsters of men, you know, only to be hurt again? But because we're talking about men, uh, what about codependent men?
1: Well, it's a similar situation. The man will often go back into the same gruesome situation because it's better the dog you know than the dog you don't know. And and women are like that as well. I think I told you the story about the dingo and the kangaroo in the, in the water tank once. And basically, yeah. just to recap on that for people who may not have heard that story, I, I was inspecting uh, underground water supplies in a cattle station in Western Queensland during a drought. Mm-hmm. And I landed the aircraft at a at a tank, and in the bottom of the tank were a bunch of animals dead and rotting in about two inches of muddy, slushy, horrible water, and a couple of survivors. One was a dingo pup that had been mothered by a kangaroo, a female kangaroo with a broken tail. hmm the kangaroo had actually mothered the, the pup of the dingo that ate her joey, her baby kangaroo. So there was a lot of twisted reality going on in there. It took me nearly two hours to get both those animals out of the tank and into freedom so they could run away. Mm-hmm. And to my horror, three times they jumped back into the tank again mm-hmm. because that tank, in in spite of the stench and the rotting flesh in the bottom of it and the and the horror that they were wallowing in down there, was much easier for them to cope with than freedom. And the only way out for me in in order to be able to sleep that night was to shoot both the animals Um, because such was their plight. Now, we see so many men and women who stay stuck or go into similar relationships for that same reason. They feel comfortable in their misery because they know how to live with it. They can't contemplate the thought of actually being free. Yeah. And that's really sad. Now, codependency, have you got a definition for codependency?
2: Codependency is when you find your identity through another person.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find a lot of my identity through Michelle and through Christ. And there's a dependency. There's a difference between codependency. Here's here's
2: what I'm thinking, Graham. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do the next podcast on codependency? We can. And so let me finish with this question because we've been talking about Some pretty challenging stuff, uh, real life stuff that uh, everyone's going to go through at some stage in their life, unless you're really touched by the fairies, or Mm -hmm. blessed by God actually. Yeah, excellent. (laughs) In reality. So let's step back and and look at a a more positive aspect of this. Let's say that you're talking to a newly married couple, right? Stars in their eyes, madly in love. What do they need to be doing now and to make it their practice to keep doing for the rest of their relationship so they don't end up in some of the situations we've been talking about in in
1: a breakdown of relationship? They need to put their marriage before everything else except God. What does that mean? That means that no matter how many children they have, no matter what their careers are, no matter what their form of income is, no matter where they find themselves living in the world, Mm -hmm. they must be equally important to each other above all else except God, Mm -hmm. even above the children. Equally important. Equally important. So what makes you happy also makes me happy. Mm -hmm. I want to be the ranger of your national park. I need to know what your boundaries are Mm -hmm. and I want you to fly like an eagle the way God intended you, as he designed you, and I don't seek to control you, to influence you in any way. And I seek only to protect you from behind, watch your back for you. And I want to have the ability, the honesty and the integrity to be able to tell you when I think you could do something better, knowing that you will do the same for me. It's, yep. it's a mutual benefit thing. We need to grow together. The Bible talks about a couple coming together as one flesh. Yep. One flesh. And I think Adam said in the Garden of Eden when when Eve was um, was brought into life, you know, at last, somewhat of my own bone and my own flesh. I know that even though my wife Michelle and I are, are quite different as individuals, as a married couple, we are one entity. Ooh. One entity in absolutely everything. Yeah. Now, I know that's rare. And I know that I'm very, very fortunate to be in a situation where we're like that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, this is not pie in the sky stuff. This has been God working in our lives to yeah, bring that about. I, I've seen it. Yeah, and I know you have, yeah. and a lot of people have. And mm. we have a lot of people come up to us and say, we want what you guys have got. And I used to feel that way when I saw anyone on the rare occasion that had what Michelle and I now have. And I'm, the, this is not being boastful of it. Mm. This is highlighting the glory that can be yours if all these things work for the good. Mm-hmm. So when I'm married to Michelle she and I are one person. That doesn't mean she's lost her identity. It doesn't mean that um, that I've lost my identity. It just means that we are focused on the things that bring us joy and serenity and peace uh-huh. and the things that help us to serve God and each other uh-huh. in the strongest possible way by example. Uh-huh. I don't care if anyone opens a Bible or not. If they see something good in me that leads them to the source of my joy, which is Christ Jesus, then I'm happy. Uh-huh and and that's all that god requires is it the recognition that we may be the only bible that anyone ever reads yep and what's so what's so different about you than somebody else mm. you know and i think that's the essence of it all and yeah. and i think that's what ties it together
2: well uh you and michelle certainly uh good examples of a lot of the stuff that you're talking about and there's some really good practical advice there it's been like a, a kind of like a uh, full-on marriage counselling
1: session. Graham. What are, we, what are we
2: doing here? We teach what we most need to learn. Well, that's right, don't we always? Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, mate. We'll look Good forward you, to next
1: time. Okay, I'll sharpen my hooks and get some bait organised for us.
2: Yeah, you keep saying that. Yeah, it'll happen. Okay. It
1: won't happen overnight, but
0: it will happen. <laughs> See you, both. Bye. Mates in Courage. Brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts, and hang ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.